Hey there, history fans. And welcome back to the History Explains It All podcast, where we cover a variety of historical topics from the Stone Age to the Modern Age. I'm Lauren. I'm Alyssa. And on today's episode, we are starting off the new year with our series of course, as we do every year now. And this year, we'll be on uh, Stephen and Matilda, and we're opening up with Empress Matilda. Who's Stephen and Matilda? Oh, let, let me think. William the Conqueror's granddaughter. Granddaughter, I'm pretty sure. Matilda is William the Conqueror's granddaughter, daughter of Henry I, claim, uh, claimant to the throne of England back in, God, the, the 1100s. 1100s. I was about to say to early, early 1200s, because I'm a dumbass. But, you know, I have my moments. Even though I've done the freaking research, I'm like, when was she born? 12th century, 1100s. 12th century, 1100s. And so that's what we are discussing today. If you uh, like us, give us a rate and review. We'd really appreciate that. Let us know how you're feeling. We want to know. Don't forget to check out our Facebook and Instagram at History Explains It All underscore podcast. Where we do Today in History, Archaeology in the News, and Photo Fridays. So be prepared for that. And uh, yeah, don't forget, we'd like to know what you're thinking. You can also email us at historyexplainsall at gmail.com. So there's that. And thank you for understanding for us taking the hiatus, which we really, really appreciate. And welcome back. History explains it all, fans. <laughs> yes, and and speaking of the hiatus, so yeah, work, 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 holiday stuff, work and work and work. Yeah, so, we hope you all had a great holiday and happy New Year. Hey, so for the time being, we are going to probably readjust our scheduling for a little bit until further notice. We're only going to, I think, we're planning on doing. Just two episodes a month for now. Yeah, one after full the episode. series is over. Yeah, one full episode will be uh, once a month, and then one weird history will be once a month as well. Just due to work, work schedule and life, we needed to scale back. We hope you understand. We appreciate your understanding. We still love y'all, but just, just for right now, it just is the better option for us. Shall we get into this medieval feud? <laughs> yes. All right. Well, let's start off with who Matilda is. So this episode, so it's going to be a four-part episode. So the first episode is just on Matilda. The second episode will be just on her uncle Stephen, cousin Stephen. I was going to say uncle. They have shared uncles, but <laughs> on her cousin Stephen, and then the last two episodes will be uh, chronologically the feud that took place between them for about 18 years. It's a long time to have a feud between you and your family members. Well, especially for the throne of England, yeah. It's not that great of a throne, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, at this time, not necessarily. It was too new to really say whether it was great or not. That's true. Yeah. I mean, William the Conqueror was basically the first. Yeah, yeah. King. So in case you're not up to... Timelines. <laughs> yeah, you do your English kingship timeline. So, quick, quick backstory then on to Matilda. Her grandfather, William the Conqueror, was a Norman duke who invaded England in the mid 10 hundreds. One at the Battle of Hastings in 1066, 
took control of most of England, at least. And uh, he and his wife, Matilda, which is going to be very confusing. There's a ton of Henrys, tons of Stevens, and tons of Matildas in this. So we'll try to separate them as much as possible. But William the Conqueror and his wife, Matilda, started the family. And now we're into about the very early 1100s, 1102. So it's about 40, 35, 40 years later from 1066. So very brand new. At this point, by the time that Matilda was born on February 7th, 1102, her father is King of England, Henry I, the third Norman King of England. Mm -hmm. And only about 40 years. Yes. Very short-lived. You also have to remember, back in those times, people were... People died very quickly and easily and had very... Normally, their lives were short-lived, especially if they were men. Kids going to war, so on and so forth. True. If I remember correctly, though, William the Conqueror, he did rule for about 20 years after he conquered, because I think he died in 1187. Then his eldest son, William II, died, quote-unquote, potentially in a hunting accident, maybe by his brother Henry, who took the throne. We're not sure. That's an unknown and a theory. Mm -hmm. We have... No proof as to one or the other, but William II did not rule for a very long period of time. Very short. No, no, not at all. Not. I don't even think it was a full decade. I don't think it was even, I mean, it was definitely probably, I think about five years, but that's going to be about it. So on to Matilda, as we stated, she was the daughter of Henry I of England and her mother was a Matilda. She was a Matilda of Scotland and this Matilda that we're talking about today was born on February 7th, 1102 at Sutton Courtney in Berkshire, England. And as I mentioned, her father was the youngest son of William the Conqueror. And also again, at the time of Matilda's birth, her father was the third Norman ruler of England. Uh, just to give note, I took, took it upon myself to look it up. There, uh, about, <clears throat> excuse me, 13 years, uh, he was king of England from 1087 to 1100. Oh, okay. So her, of England. her father was brand new king at the time she was born. Yes. It, it was a very, very fresh thing. Fair enough. So we know the timeline of her father's lineage. Her mother's lineage was from Scottish royalty. Matilda's. So we're going to do, we're going to do this. So, Eventually, this Matilda becomes the Holy Roman Empress, as she tends to go by the last name, sometimes it fits Empress. So we will call her different Empress variations. So as for right now, we're just going to call her Matilda Fitz Empress, just to mm -hmm. denote it from the other Matildas that we'll be talking about. So her, Matilda's mother is also named Matilda, Matilda of Scotland. Matilda of Scotland's father was Malcolm III, of Scotland, who also had descendants all the way back to Alfred the Great, who, if I remember correctly, is the first united Anglo-Saxon king of England, which on her mother's side gives Matilda, Fitz Empress, an English lineage that dates all the way back to the 800s. So she's got a lot of prestige. Now, there's very, very little known about Matilda's childhood specifically at least up until year eight, seven or eight. 
We know that her parents had a son, her younger brother, William Adlin, and as soon as he was born, he was declared heir to the throne. Now, while growing up in her father's court, she would have been given the usual education to someone of her status, and particularly being also a princess. She's going to be high-ranking, and she's going to be tutored in the ways of what she's supposed to be doing and learning the ways of what to do when she comes a mother and all that type of stuff. And then also as a very, very traditional Christian upbringing of the time. She was also surrounded by family growing up, at least up until about year seven. And these included her uncle David, who would later become a king of Scotland, her half-brother Robert of Gloucester, and her cousin Stephen of Blois. And according to records, this is something I don't know if you found out in your research, we know many, many men throughout history, king or otherwise, have taken up with many, many, many a mistress. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's the only one. He's not the only one. He's just the one that mostly comes to mind when you think about at least he's, kings he's, of England. I mean, he is the most famous. He's not I the mean, most prolific. Henry the First, I would claim to be the most prolific. I mean... Let's just think about if you just think about the song from uh, Horrible, Horrible Histories. Divorce, break out, and end all. Those are just the wives. And that's just talking about the wives that were in and out very quickly. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Um, I think Henry the First gives Henry the Eighth a run for his money. Okay. Very, very Let's much so. Hear this. According to records, Matilda's father, Henry the First, was he was married twice throughout his life to Matilda of Scotland and then Adeliza. But he took up with many, 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 many mistresses, fathering 22 known illegitimate children. On top of the two, he already had legitimately. Dang. I think he's got Henry the Eighth beat on that one. Well, I mean, Henry the Eighth had trouble having children. <laughs> <laughs> the irony of that does not like go over my head <laughs> fair enough so when she was six Matilda's father traveled from England to Normandy to take a check on his still stronghold lands over there and left her and her mother in the care of the Archbishop of Canterbury a man named Anselm now there are because it was just so long ago and so many things have been lost to history there are no known surviving descriptions of Matilda's appearance, let alone any portraiture from the time of her life. As far as I can tell, the earliest surviving portrait of her was painted approximately 20 years after she passed away, probably showing her at the height of her status in her early 20s. She died in her 60s. As we know, most royal marriages were political marriages. Matilda was no exception, especially at the beginning of a new family ruler. Dynasty. Or dynasty. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, dynasty. You're, you're, the father is going to betroth the daughter to someone advantageous for them. Well, and his sons, too. And sons. We'll get to that. But... The daughter is majorly going to be the one to move out of the country and make the advantageous marriage across the world. Right. 
or the continent, depending on where you're going. So at this time, when Matilda was about six or seven years old, the German king, Henry V, proposed, and he was 24 at the time, by the way. So, of course, political advantageous marriages, you got to remember, this is a period when by the time you're 13, 14, and you've hit puberty, you're an adult. You can have kids, you get married, all that kind of thing. And yeah, but getting a 24-year-old, regardless, I understand that, but a 24-year-old being politically engaged to a seven-year-old. It's politically engaged, and they are not actually married, and they're in two different parts of the world at the time. He's in Germany, she's in England. It's just so weird. It's weird, but not for the times. I know. And they actually did not get married until she was 13. Not gonna lie, it's still weird. He was about 30. 30, 31. Yep. To her father, this was great, because King Henry V of Germany would bring status. She'd be marrying into one of the most powerful and prestigious European dynasties of the world. And that gives a brand new dynasty quite a boost and backing. That gives them, I mean, if somebody goes to war with King Henry I of England, King Henry V of Germany is going to have to back him up because he's married to her, his daughter. That's exactly what he wanted. Exactly. Because keeping in mind in this time, this will come up in episode three and four when we're talking about the different splits in France at the time. France was not a united country, much like England was not technically a united country. But there was variety. There was France, and then there was Brittany, and then there was Normandy, and then there was Blois, and then there was Flanders. It was France was much like the Holy Roman Empire at this Empire? time. Empire. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Empire. Yeah. Basically, it's a bunch of smaller counties that are half ruled by the king of France, quote, end quote. Right. At the time. Really, it's ruled by the dukes or counts or whoever uh, what was head of that county. Right. So it's not how we think of it today, where it's one king of England or one king of France. There were really several different rulers of counties of France. And, well, let's just say he had quite a few strongholds in Normandy. Well, his family line comes from Normandy, and he went on to those. Who wouldn't? That's why when you talk about even later on down the road, 300 years down the road, during the time of Henry VIII, there was still... Henry VIII lost everything except for Calais. <laughs> he wasn't the only one. It stopped. I think John did the same thing, too. We'll get to yeah. that. Comes but up about a but year, even years down later. the road, you notice that there are still English kings fighting for territory or land that was once theirs in France. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So back to what I was saying. So this also, the alliance or the marriage between Matilda and Henry V, this brought money to Henry V. Because brand new dynasty, actually pretty wealthy. William, William the Conqueror kept those coffers pretty well. He was pretty tight with money, that's for sure. Not a big spender like uh, Henry VIII. <laughs> who, no, more like his dad. Who like drained the coffers. This would be, the money would be used to fund the coronation he had in Rome when he would become the Holy Roman Emperor. Yes. Now, a uh, real quick side note on that. Much like the Pope gets elected, at this time, Holy Roman Emperor was also elected. It was not inherited. Inherited. 
correct. So, so what you did is essentially for the people that were doing the elections for the Holy Roman Emperor, you paid them off as much as you could to get the position. To fund this, Matilda's father, Henry V, I mean, Henry I sent Henry V 10,000 marks, which was her dowry, which is quite a bit back. With the engagement set and everything going well, in February of 1110, Matilda headed or started on her journey towards Germany. (laughs) (laughs) Words today. I know. And she ended up meeting Henry V at Liege. And then they traveled to Utrecht together where they were engaged by the church on April 10th of 1110. They kept it engaged at that point because technically Matilda was not yet of age to be married. No, she's still seven or eight. Yeah. In 1110. Yeah, that's the whole point. But she was crowned as the new German queen in 1110 on July 25th, even though they're not married yet. Like, they're, that means that they were 100% guaranteed they were getting married. It was a political like, no statement. One, right? No one could back out. Right, exactly. And, and change their mind. Uh, after the betrothal... Betrothal? <laughs> after the betrothal, thanks, became official, she was then sent to live with the Archbishop of Trier, whose name was Bruno, and he actually was her teacher. He taught her how to speak in German and or the language of Germany. What was it back then, I guess? I guess it was still called German. Well, no, it's just different now than back then. Just like English. We don't speak in ye old English anymore, like Shakespeare. (laughs) You know, ye old was pronounced as the old, and everyone just screws it up anyway. My point being, we don't don't write that And that's the case. My last name has two THs in it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Yeah, it's funny. All right, we're getting off track here. And Middle English. He taught it's her. Good. He taught her basically the language and culture in order to interact with the people who would be her subjects and be able to rule over them properly. And government as a whole, if she were to take any role in government, yeah. Which was highly unlikely, as she was still a woman. That's not yep. something that was still. It depends on where you were. We'll get to that. That's true, but very rare. In Germany, it wasn't so bad. In Italy, it was welcome. In France and England, no. Why would we do that? I don't know. I don't know. After... (laughs) And after she turned 12, she was considered ready to be married, and the couple were wed in a lavish ceremony in Worms. Yes, Worms. Hate that name for a city, but it exists. In January of 1114, after the celebration, she she had her own household in Germany. It went along with her own staff, and she entered life as the new queen of Germany. Not long after their wedding, strife broke out involving the German Archbishop Adalbert of Mainz and several of the German princes. Nice. This is going to make life so much easier. Yeah. She's going to have such a good time. Sarcasm, sarcasm, sarcasm. And in an attempt to quell the rebellion, Henry ended up arresting, and when I say Henry, I mean Henry V, her husband, arrested several of the high-ranking Germans, including the Archbishop 
And he was soon excommunicated, actually, by Pope Pascal III. This was not a good thing, as he was the up-and-coming Holy Roman Emperor. He was the one. Yeah, Holy Roman Emperor, who was also previously excommunicated. It's good luck. <laughs> in order to fix that really great bad look, in 1116, Matilda traveled with him over the Alps and into Italy in order to get this fixed. On their way to Rome, they began establishing their control in northern Italy and, well, let's just say it took them a year to travel over the Alps and into Italy and down to Rome. Back And they didn't get to Rome until about early 1117. So yeah, a full year. Scared by their advancing army, Pope Pascal fled Rome as soon as they entered, which is uh, interesting. But hey. And in the Pope's ads, ab, absence, in the Pope's absence, his papal envoy Maurice Bourdin crowned the two as the two, crowned them as the new Holy Roman Emperor and Empress at St. Peter's Basilica. I'm having trouble with speech. Maurice, after assuming the charge of Pope, ruled as anti-Pope. Gregory the Eighth until eleven twenty one. Basically, Pope Pascal was not able to re-enter Rome while this was occurring, as far as I know. Well, so what? The, there's several anti-popes throughout history. What the anti-pope is is that you have the officially elected pope, and then you have someone who tries a takeover and yeah. rules as a non-elected pope. So the non-elected pope is considered the anti-pope. Yes, which does you not very many favors, actually, when you think about well, it. Well, Maurice didn't have a good time of it. <laughs> I can imagine. I can actually only imagine. Yep, you and I both know. We both know. So in 1121 is when he was overthrown, and, well, Maurice was then imprisoned for the rest of his life. This, along with being excommunicated prior to their second crowning cer ceremony, caused some to doubt the actuality of the titles of Holy Roman Emperor and Empress. Didn't really matter to Matilda. She continued to claim to be the official empress and used the t title throughout the rest of her life. That we'll go into in a little bit. Which essentially, at this point, would have been for the next 50 years. I yeah. am Empress of all. I mean... Get some Catherine of, uh, Empress Catherine vibes out of her. Not gonna lie. I can't blame her either. Mm -mm. Seeing and understanding her new role and title as Queen of the Romans, Empress, Matilda soon had seals made and began to sign her letters and charters with her new title. Would you like help with this one? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Me and... Latin. Latin. We did not get along in college, okay? Um, Matilda Segratia Romanorum Regina. Sweet. Which means Matilda, by the grace of God, Queen of the Romans. Her new status not only placed her above all, man in, all men in both medieval France, but also England. Basically, she was even above her father, is what that sounds like. Yes. As he was only king and she was empress. Exactly. Even her seal was different from most at the time. Where This where, is really interesting. I like this one. It's fascinating, actually. Where normally a woman's seal would have her standing and it would be in like an ovular shape, with men's seals would show them on horseback and they would be in a circular, circle shape. Her seal had her sitting, not on horseback, but like on a throne. Yeah. 
And it was circular. And it was possibly done in that as an attempt to show that she was on the same status level as men. Soon after everything calmed down with the Pope and Maurice and everything else that was going on at the time. The rebellions that were, well, the rebellions were kind of still going on in Germany, but yeah, most of it was starting to quell down a bit. Yes, and remember, they're still in Italy at this time. But still having rebellions with the German princes and authorities. Yep. So Henry left for Germany with his army to quash all those rebellions. And for the following two years, Matilda would remain in Italy, running it as she was as she would see fit, basically. And there's really not much... There's, like, no records to say what she did back then. Almost and, nothing survives. Yeah. I mean, there's very little that survives from those times that, that were, like, preserved in bogs or water or some shit. No, that's King John... Losing the entire crown jewels in the mud. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, his was a doomed reign anyway, wasn't it? True. Sad, but true. She Matilda would return to Germany in the year 1119. In 1120, her younger brother William would drown in the, in the incident known as the White Ship Disaster. Which we'll get into next episode when we talk about Stephen. Oh yeah, that'll be fun. In 1122, while Henry was in talks with the Pope, and Henry V is who I mean, not Henry I, Matilda decided that she would travel to England to visit her father. It is believed that she wanted to discuss her possible inheritance to the, to the throne of England. That's that throne of England. She was already Queen of the Germans and Empress. Of Holy the Romans, yeah. So, in this sense, so it, it typically, obviously, it goes by male heirs. As we mentioned before, the only son to her father and her mother, her younger brother, William, had drowned two years before. Her After her mother died, Henry I remarried, but they had no children. So, and we'll get into it when we get into the, the feud between Matilda and Stephen, but a quick 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 overall of that knowing he had no more male heirs that were legitimately claims to the throne there he had his court and uh, officials swear an oath that matilda would take over but eventually that didn't necessarily happen and cousin stephen tried to run in on that because they're also related and he's like i'm the next eldest mayor male Eldest male heir. I am the next eldest male heir, and I should be in charge of England because it should not go to a woman. But also, I think in terms of, as I've read in a couple of things, that Matilda's had a fairly abrasive personality. And because she was an empress, felt that she had a status above everyone and felt that anything she wanted should be hers. But again, that's contemporary... Chronic chronicles, well, no, contemporary as in at her time. Yeah. And there's different thoughts. We'll get into that at the end of this section. But also, or at the end of this episode. But also remember, she was basically groomed to be queen and empress from a very, very young age. I, well, maybe. A queen, yes. Empress, I'm, I'm not sure. Because I don't know at one point between the engagement when she was seven and, but sometime between the engagement 
when she was sent to Germany and the time that she married Henry V, Henry V had thrown money at the people who would elect him Holy Roman Emperor. I don't know if that was something he already had plans to do or something that was already secured for him by the time he got engaged to Matilda. Yeah, we don't know that, but at the same time, she was raised to be a queen. Oh, yeah. When you're raised to be one of the few queens of one of the oldest dynasties and things like that, it all you have to do is look farther down the line in her family to... We'll talk about this later on down the road. Uh, Henry, her her son, Henry, and his marriage. Oh, I got that later on in this episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it, we'll still talk about it farther on down the line, probably, too. Oh. But oh, yeah. he married Eleanor of Aquitaine, who was known to be very haughty as well. Oh, very I mean, high, very high believing in oneself and believed she was above all else. We, we have talked about doing a series just alone, <laughs> like a, at least a two-parter alone, just between the discourse between Matilda and Eleanor alone. Oh, Lord, that'd be difficult. Yeah. But back to this. So she goes to discuss uh, her possible inheritance to the throne of England. However, she was blocked by Count Charles of Flanders, whose territory she would have to pass through to get to England. So she actually couldn't go to England because she couldn't go through this particular part of life. And the political unrest in Germany continued at the time, and the couple, being Henry V and Matilda, continued to travel across Germany to put down rebellions. They were constantly together, and it's kind of a show of, we are a united front. By 1122, it was discovered that Henry V was deathly ill with cancer, actually. Eventually, the cancer would take over, and he ended up dying on May 23rd, 1125, in Utrecht. He was 39 years old, and Matilda was 23. They had been married for 11 years, but there were actually no children from their union. Interesting. The next sentence will sum it all up. Yeah. Chroniclers at the time wrote that it was because of Henry's many sins against the church and church bells. <laughs> and he was excommunicated. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's the reason. No. I don't think that's the reason at all. <laughs> After Henry's death, an election was held and a new king was crowned, which left Matilda with only her title as empress as well as her possessions. Basically, she was no longer a true ruler of, of as a Holy Roman Empress. She was widowed, she had no children, and... That leaves Matilda in a bind. One of the few things, one of the major things you are supposed to do as a ruling female, as the wife, queen, empress to the husband, king, emperor, is to have an heir. And without that, it just leaves you kind of behind. So she had no official power anymore. And... That left her with two choices regarding her future. She could enter a nunnery or she could remarry. Although many offers arrived from German nobles, she turned them all down and ended up deciding to return to Normandy, actually. She gave away all of her German estates, departing with a large collection of royal jewels, her imperial regalia, two of Henry's crowns, and the very valuable relic of the hand of James the Apostle. Basically, she left with quite a bit of baggage. 
very valuable baggage, which would later uh, okay. come into term later once kind of her son Henry the Second is king. Yes, it would. Okay. However, like we said, her only choices were either to enter a nunnery or remarry. She did not enter the nunnery, therefore she ended up remarrying. But not quite yet. Not immediately. She would end up returning to Normandy, where her father's court was, and she would spend the next two years on her own. However, with no male heirs to his throne, King Henry I began to look for a new husband for her, because he was desperately in need of a male heir. If she could produce a male heir, that could be the next ruler of England after Henry Henry's death. By 1127, of course, there were several offers, but none that piqued Henry's interest. What he really wanted was to increase his hold of uh, his hold on his lands in Normandy, and Henry received an offer from Count Folk V of Anjou regarding the marriage of his son Geoffrey to Matilda. In an interesting turn, Henry's son, William Adeline, who drowned in 1120, had been married to Count Folk's daughter, by the way. Now he was offering his son to Matilda. Wanting to keep that alliance for his lands, yeah. Oh, yeah. Having recently been married to a Holy Roman Emperor and holding the title of Empress, it seemed that Matilda was not happy with the idea of marrying the son of a count. Additionally, she was 25 while Joffrey was 13. Roles are reversed here. First she was married to an older man, now she's getting married to a younger one. She's getting married to... It, it's almost, a child. Yeah. In, a, in her mind, he's a child. Yes. And he very much acts like a child. Well, essentially, she's marrying someone that was the same age as she was when she was married. Mm-hmm. And in also her mind, he's beneath her. Well, in very many ways, yes. And I don't think she's wrong. No. Which we'll go into as you hear this. Uh, Hildebert, the Archbishop of Tours, intervened on her father's behalf and convinced Matilda that the match was beneficial to everyone and therefore she would end up agreeing. In May of 1127, she would gather everything and travel to Rouen. Rouen? Rouen? Rouen. Rouen. Sorry. Rouen, along with her half-brother Robert of Gloucester and her cousin Brian Fitzcount. Robert of Gloucester is a name to remember. He's her half-brother and not uh, legitimate. He's an illegitimate son of Henry. Right. But he plays a big role in, in future in, in the future feud. In the future episodes that you will hear. So, the mar- she would end up marrying uh, Geoffrey of Anjou. And- also known as Geoffrey Plantagenet. <laughs> That's where you were going with that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I was about to say the marriage would be the beginning of the Plantagenet line in the English royalty. Uh, which is a line that would last about 300 years. Until the death of Richard III. <laughs> Wars of the Roses. Check the check out that series from last year. <laughs> this was um, a non-intentional <laughs> it connection. Really wasn't. No, it really wasn't. Okay, we didn't choose this. We had other people vote. <laughs> That's true. Well, we asked around. We asked other people's opinions. In eleven twenty-eight, Count Folk decided to make a run for the kingship in Jerusalem deciding to leave his kingdom in Normandy to Geoffrey. 
And afterwards, Henry the First knighted Geoffrey, and he and Matilda were married on June seventeenth of eleven twenty-eight. Uh, their age gap was disadvantageous for them at the time of their marriage, along with the uncertain power Henry the First held over Geoffrey. The couple didn't get along well, and it seemed as if Henry was holding off on bringing in Geoffrey of Anjou on any future claims to the throne of England, which was true. He really didn't want Geoffrey as king. He wanted Geoffrey and Matilda's son. Yes. I I mean, also, he just didn't trust him. I wouldn't trust anyone further than what he threw them in this situation. Uh, Not too long after their marriage, the couple... Let's say they would reach an impasse in their relationship and they would separate. And Matilda would move to her own estates in Normandy. And she would stay there for two, two and a half years. However, you have to remember, Matilda's father, Henry I, was absolutely desperate for a male heir. So he would end up convincing Matilda to return to Geoffrey. And they would reconcile in 1131. And Matilda would go on to give birth to three children. Uh, The first child in 1133, their second in 1134, and their third in 1136. Despite having two grandchildren by the year 1134, Henry I was not keen to increase his daughter's lands in Normandy, which concerned that which was because he was concerned that Geoffrey may try to seize power in Normandy before Henry I died. And this would actually cause a gap or a rift between Matilda and her father Henry, and they would begin to actually argue slash fight with each other. (laughs) And Henry would then later unexpectedly die in the middle of their confrontation in 1135. Now, at the time of uh, Matilda, at the time of Matilda's father's death, Matilda was heavily pregnant. This is important to know, as now she was supposed to inherit the throne. She was supposed to inherit the throne in the name of her sons or her son, her eldest son. All three was, children were sons. Yeah, well, in the name of her eldest son in particular, because he would be the one to inherit the throne, which was Henry, who would be later be known as Henry the Second. But she. Uh, At this time, it was not convenient for Matilda to travel to England in order to claim the throne for her young son, Henry. She's heavily pregnant with her third child. And the rule is, if you can take London, you take the throne. Yeah, it's not just automatically inherited. Not yet. (laughs) Well, no, it was with William the Conqueror's sons. It's just that there hadn't been a time where it was, like like with Henry the Seventh to Henry the Eighth, it wasn't just a quiet turnover. And, turnover. It, it's always there's always been a battle between siblings, always been a battle between family, or in the case of Edward the Fourth, there was a battle from outside people wanting to take the throne. I think it's Edward the Fourth. Don't forget the imposters that would battle for a throne. Yeah. She couldn't really make it to London, however. Cousin Stephen of Blois. Blois. I like to call it Blois because I can't actually pronounce the prop. I I cannot say appropriately. Apologies. However, Stephen would end up being the next eldest male in line, and he believed that it was his right as he was the next male heir. 
Next eldest, yeah. Eldest male heir, true. And he actually ended up capturing the throne of England, and this would begin an 18-year-long civil war for the throne of England, which, of course, as this series goes on, we will discuss. Yes, and apparently the 18-year-long war is more referred to as the anarchy rather than necessarily the civil war. Hmm. Sure. Uh, by 1144, Matilda and Geoffrey's son, the future King Henry II, was now 13 years old, and he began being involved in the running of his father's government. Both Geoffrey and Matilda saw him as the next ruling king of England. By 1148, Matilda was having difficulties with the church, particularly when it came to some of her castles. With uh, some of her occupied castles. I'm sorry. She didn't own them. Some of her occupied castles, which belonged to the Bishop of Salisbury. Hmm. Eventually, the Pope, with the threat of excommunication, intervened. And, yeah, and Wasn't but, she already excommunicated? No. Yeah. Her, her, oh, no, her husband was. Henry was excommunicated. Her first husband. Her first husband. And uh, because she, she had, it was a very prestigious castle whose name is escaping me at the moment. And she wanted to keep that stronghold, but it didn't belong to her. She just occupied it. And the bishop goes, I want my house back. She goes, you can't have it back. So he goes to the Pope and he goes, you give it back to the bishop or excommunicate you. So she moves out. Yeah. In 1148, she left for Rouen, where she would take up residence at the prior of Notre, Notre Dame de Pré, du Pré, yeah. and then began to plan for her future. Between 1148 and 1150, both Matilda and Geoffrey continued to work for and gain support both from the Pope and King Louis VII of France that their eldest son, Henry, would keep his lands in Normandy as well as be in line for the, to become the next King of England. Geoffrey did die unexpectedly in 1151, unknown reason. We have no idea what, what caused him to die. And as soon as he died, Henry took possession of all of Geoffrey's lands. He became the next one to rule. The next Duke of Normandy at the very yeah. least. Until the next further notice. Yeah. So as we mentioned, they had three children, all sons. But during her first marriage to Henry, they had no children for the 11 years that they were married. And again, as we mentioned before, contemporaries at the time say that it was because of Henry's many sins, which again, at one point included the an excommunication by Pope Pascal III. Now, it wasn't obviously until her second marriage to Geoffrey that she gave birth to her son, Henry, future King Henry II, who was born on March 5th, 1133 at Le Mans. And he was the very first child of the House of Plantagenet. And as we just mentioned, he gained his father's lands at the age of 20 in 1151. And the very following year, married, like, I guess, heiress? I'm not sure what she was, but uh, Eleanor of Aquitaine. And this, until further notice, essentially gave him the titles of the Duke of Aquitaine and later Count of Nantes. And he eventually took the throne of England after the death of his uncle Stephen in 1150. And it reigned until his death in 1189 in July. 
by the age of about 13 or 14, Henry had begun to be schooled by his father in government while they were still in Normandy, and as well as taking an active role in his mother's feud with his uncle, occasionally also leading troops into battle. Now, here's where it gets kind of interesting. With his wife, Eleanor of Aquitaine, Henry II and Eleanor had eight legitimate children. And I'm just going to give you a quick brief overview. So they had William, Henry, Matilda, Richard, Geoffrey, Eleanor, Joan, and John. <sighs> William, their eldest, died at around age two or three. And then their second son, Henry, was given the title of King of England in 1170. He would be known as Henry the Young King. And this was really interesting, actually, because he was crowned King of England before his father had even died. But unfortunately, Henry the Young King died before his father did, and Henry III died at the age of 28 in 1183. Their next child, first daughter of Matilda, would become the Duchess of Saxony. Their fourth child, Richard, who became the eldest surviving male after Henry II died, became Richard I. The next on the list is Geoffrey II, who became the Duke of Brittany. Their second daughter, Eleanor, married Alfonso VIII and became Queen of Castile. Their last daughter, Joan, married William II of Sicily and became Queen of Sicily. And their youngest son, John, became John I after the death of his elder brother, Richard. So two kings and two queens at the very least. Not bad. Yeah, Lord. Now, that's just Henry II, first child. Her second son, also named Geoffrey, was born the following year after his elder brother, 1134. And the birth was apparently extremely difficult for Matilda and it is believed to have left her very close to death. But fortunately, mostly because for her father, Henry I, Matilda did recover and then began her role as a new mother. And Geoffrey was poised to inherit his father's lands in Normandy on the stipulation that his elder brother, Henry, inherited the throne of England. At the age of 18, you'll like this. At the age of 18, He's 18. His brother, Henry, is 19. They're in France. Well, at least they're in Normandy. And Eleanor of Aquitaine had recently been married, briefly, to Louis VII of France. But the marriage was annulled. And Eleanor was making her way back home to Poitiers. Learning of this, and Eleanor of Aquitaine being a very desirable marriage, to whomever can capture her, Geoffrey, second son of Matilda, attempted to abduct and marry her. Mm -hmm. Had plans set out to snatch her on her route back to Poitiers. However, she was forewarned about this and was able to reroute her trip. Not happy about the, the unsuccessful abduction of his potential future wife. <laughs> Well, that would have been very fun to tell the kids about. I, I kidnapped and seduced your mom. It's great. <laughs> or I kidnapped and attempted to seduce your mom. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> but he obviously he didn't succeed. But when Jeffrey failed in his attempt, he allied himself with King Louis VII. And together they went and attacked his mother's lands in Normandy. Mostly because 
So Louis the Seventh was previously but unsuccessfully married to Eleanor of Aquitaine. Eleanor went home. She met Henry the Second. Potentially fell in love. The two got married in secret. Henry oh, was it a secret? Oh, it was, it, it was a secret. Louis the Seventh found it. out, and in retaliation, attacked the Norman lands belonging to Matilda and her family. So not smart. No. So Henry II, now king, snatched up one of the most eligible women in all of France and England, snatched her up, secretly wed her, pissing off the king of France, who then retaliated against his lands, and now the king's brother is allying himself with the king of England in retaliation against his brother because he couldn't have his brother's wife. Family, it's great. <laughs> we both know that ain't true. <laughs> <laughs> well, despite his consistent feud with his brother, it's interesting to note that after the death of Stephen, when Henry and Eleanor went to England to have their official crowning ceremony, yep. Jeffrey went with them. Well, but it wouldn't last long. I was going to say. You gotta remember, it's up and down with royal families, especially feuds, and especially at the beginning of a family dynasty. It's more of, what can I sort of secretly take? What 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 can you give me to make me happy? What's what's more, what, what, what deal are we gonna strike here? With that kind of personality, it would not surprise me, and it does not surprise me that Jeffrey would continue to feud and plot against his elder brother Henry, and would continue to cause trouble for Henry, who was obviously not king. The two consistently feuded, and eventually Geoffrey would have to yield various lands and castles to Henry upon the treaty and truce that they agreed upon. Geoffrey was given an annuity of 1,500 pounds and two castles, having given up quite a lot more than that. Shortly after this truce, the people of Nantes actually deposed their current count and then asked the new king who should rule in his stead. And for one reason or another, Henry II suggested his younger brother, Geoffrey, who happily accepted the offer. However, yeah, I got more power again. My brother, I don't care. It, gives me, it gives me more land once again to the amount that I gave up. Unfortunately, Geoffrey died suddenly in 1158 at the young age of 24. And what's interesting is he was given the lands in Nantes by his brother. When he died, his lands were seized by Conan IV of Brittany. You don't hear that name too often. And then directly <laughs> give it back to his brother Henry. Now, here's Matilda's favorite son, her youngest son, William. And he was born after the death of Henry I in 1136 on July 22nd. And he was actually born in the, as we mentioned before, very early years of the anarchy. And growing up, would have actually seen very little of his parents. His, his dad's in Anjou fighting rebellions to keep the lands. His mother's in England fighting against his, her, her cousin Stephen. And in September of 1155, King Henry II held council at Winchester, mostly in trying to garner support for an invasion of Ireland. Now, it seemed that, so Jeffrey, brother Jeffrey and brother Henry did not get along because Jeffrey is acting like Richard III. 
and like, no, I want all of this and just give it to me. And he's like, got a very abrasive personality. Henry's going to have his own personality, but younger brother William seems to very much enjoy being with and learning from his elder brother, Henry, who also took quite a liking to his younger brother. So when Henry is attempting to work out plans for an invasion and overrule of Ireland, his intent was to, should not be successful, give his younger brother William the entire kingship of Ireland. That's quite gracious. Exactly. Oh, you know what this reminds me of? Hmm. All the sayings about the middle child being the troubled child. <laughs> I'm a middle child, but that's a whole different thing. I'm talking about Geoffrey. Yes. When you have separate... I'm talking about Henry and Geoffrey. Geoffrey with Henry, and then Geoff Henry loving the younger one. William. So troublesome. Well, not, not only that, again, Eleanor's favorite son was the youngest son. You're not grooming your youngest son to become king. No, and that night he's married and having his own family, you can keep the younger son at home. You can keep the younger son at home, or you're grooming him for the church. It's one or the other. Yeah. He was probably grooming... I could see her... Henry would be king. In her mind, he would be groomed for kingship. Period. I could see her grooming Geoffrey for either a dukedom or one of the kingdoms in Normandy. Which is what he got. And then she would groom the younger son to enter the church, which would be William. Which means she could pamper him a little bit more. She could be a true mother in that sense. She could smother and love and hug and do all the things that we think of as a motherly act that she couldn't do with her eldest two because they needed to be able to be strong for rulership. Well, it's also maybe she just wanted to control some. I mean, there's people in different ways with it. You could say she wanted to be controlling and, and do that with William. And then maybe she just didn't want empty nest syndrome and... You know. There's a million things it could be. This is what I'm theorizing it was. With her type of personality, it's hard to pin it down. Yeah, she was kind of all over the place. But she she did love her children. Didn't matter which one it was. She loved them all. Yes, that that is true. They may not have been great children necessarily, but she did love them. Pains in the butt. Well, All children are. <laughs> but back to the invasion of Ireland. We know that it didn't happen. And we want to know, I'll, I'll give you a very, very quick summation of why that didn't happen. Matilda. And learning. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't no. know. It's just really funny. The facial expression. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. You'll love this reasoning. So, not only, so Matilda just shot it down, not because she didn't think William could handle being king of Ireland, or she didn't think that the invasion would be successful, or maybe she didn't think that the kingdom of England had enough money to successfully run an invasion of England. No, none of that at all. She is quoted as saying that she didn't believe Ireland was worth conquering. <laughs> uh, how wrong. Maybe at the time, I don't really know the history of Ireland at the time. Of the By 1100s. this time, I'm pretty sure they're also fairly Christian Catholic. I'm not, I don't know when that all I started. Mean, Roman Catholicism, it spread very quickly. Well, it did, but I'm sure there were still some pagan strongholds in Ireland oh, yeah. at this time. Oh, yeah. Mostly in England, unless you're in Wales. There absolutely was, but 
chances are it was most likely over 50% of the country was Roman Probably. Roman Catholic at the time. By this point in Matilda's life, yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously plans not going to fruition like he wanted. Henry instead granted his youngest brother loads of lands and manors throughout England, making him one of the richest men in the entire country. Which, being though being in lineage to the King of England, the third child doesn't normally get a whole lot. It all depends on how you want to split it up. Much like King John, there was not much left after Henry II died to give him a fair share of stuff. Now, 1156, when Henry was feuding with Geoffrey, William was with Henry at the siege of Chinon, and it's actually said that during this siege, or within a series of sieges, he had the writings of Roman military theorist Vegetus read to him. And I don't, there's not much information about youngest brother William. Uh, he didn't seem like he fought too many battles, but he, it seems like he was smart enough to understand campaigns and, and strategizing. And having read to him some of this military theory from ancient Rome, he took that into account. And apparently, according to reports from the time, he successfully ended the ongoing siege the following day. But I couldn't find out how. Unless I want to go read Vegetius. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe. In 1162, at the age of 26, William was engaged to a woman named Isabel de Warren, Countess of Surrey, who was also one of the richest heiresses in all of England. It was a tricky situation, though, because due to the degrees of affinity, Isabel, well, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. It was a tricky situation for the two of them to get their essentially marriage license in this sense because of the degrees of affinity, meaning degrees of relationship. Isabel had previously been married to William of Blois, a, a double second cousin to William, son of Matilda which meant that both William of Anjou, which is who we're talking about, and William of Blois, the previous husband to the, his it, uh, fiance, both shared the same maternal line. Both of their grandmothers were actually siblings. So there's that degree of blood relation that you can't marry within a certain degree of blood. Yeah. And this was a little too close for the Pope to agree to. However... They just needed a dispensation of affinity, which apparently in most situations were typically given without too much difficulty. But this is now during the reign of Henry II. And Henry II is going to have a bit of a tiff with a certain archbishop. And sorry, keep going. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that archbishop would be named Thomas Beckett. Saint Thomas. And he did not support the request for younger brother William to marry Isabel of Warren because he didn't believe, it's not like he was against the couple themselves. It was just against the closeness in blood relation. And because of the denial of the dispensation, the couple were not able to wed. 
flat out. The archbishop says, no, you cannot do it. Now, it was chronicled that William grieved heavily from the refusal by Thomas Beckett and eventually, potentially, died of a broken heart. Very soon after, on January 30th of 1164, aged only 27. Never having been married. Poor kid. And again, Matilda's favorite. Poor kid. Yeah. Now, it was rumored that Henry blamed Thomas Beckett for his brother's early death, and it may have also been potentially the catalyst that brought about their very great feud. And for those who aren't aware, it was a very big feud between King of England and his head Archbishop of Canterbury. So much so to the point that eventually, will someone rid me of this troublesome priest? And thus Thomas Beckett was murdered. That happened to have been on December 29th of 1170. And it is chronicled that one of the knights who murdered him was a man named Richard Le Breton. And he had previously been in the employ of William. And it is believed that when Richard fatally struck Thomas Beckett, he cried out, take that for the love of my Lord William, the king's brother, stabbed thee. <laughs> okay, I add that last that last bit, but essentially it's like et tu peut-être? <laughs> oh god. <laughs> Royals. <laughs> Sorry. For my king I love, I stab thee. <laughs> oh lord. Okay. Despite all the battling for the throne of England against her cousin Stephen. Once her son Henry assumed the throne, many of Matilda's troubles and financial issues just fell away, basically. Her burden was lightened. <laughs> Matilda would spend the rest of her life living in Normandy, often acting as Henry II's representative and presiding over his lands there in Normandy. And early on in his reign, Henry and Matilda would issue joint charters, and he actually leaned on her for policy advice. Until he got his feet firmly planted on what he wanted to do, yeah. Yeah, he was a very headstrong person. Yeah, but once he, like, as he was but sort of he getting needed, used to it. But the thing about him was he knew at times he needed help. Yeah. And so he turned to his mother, Matilda. Empress Matilda, let me rephrase that. Thank, Thank you. you. And he even came to her as a mediator when he and his chancellor, Thomas Beckett, fell out in the 1160s. That might be an episode we could do. Uh, that'd be a hard Maybe one. around, uh, just after next Christmas, we'll just time it for the murder or something. She would end up actually averting a couple of political crises. Crises? Crises? Chris What's a crisis? Crisis. Crisis. And... One of them was actually with the new Holy Roman Emperor, Frederick I, and it regarded her ownership of the hand of St. James the Apostle, which she took with her after the death of the, after the death of her husband, Henry V, the Holy Roman Emperor. <laughs> Eventually, Frederick would end up being bought off, and the hand would remain at the Reading Abbey, where she had it, where it would become a very popular tourist attraction. In 1164, she was also approached by King Louis VII to help him displace growing concerns by government over the allocations and uses of funds for the crusade. She made peace with the King of France, who she did not like. No, she did not. 
And just think of that. This is also at the time of the Crusades. One of them. Right. At this point, I think we're going on the third crusade. Yeah, it's it's the third out of how many? Well, technically four officials. Four officials, but you're forgetting the unofficials. (laughs) By the time Henry I took the throne, it was about the first crusade. Uh, By this time, Matilda was in her 60s, and she began to really back away from political life. And she took up more of an increased interest in her own personal life as well as church affairs. Like many nobles of the time, patronage of the ch- patronage of the church was a way to show off one's wealth and status. You have to remember, church is super important at this time. It is for so many years. Ridiculous. Um, and from her earlier, she had patroned various orders such as the Benedictines, Augustinians, Victorines, and Premonstratensians. I can. It's a word I've never seen before. Uh, it's too long. After her retirement, she would turn her efforts to refounding the Abbey of Notre Dame du Vaux near Cherbourg. Cherbourg? Cherbourg? Eventually, she would also turn her efforts to the Cistercians. Cistercians? Cistercians. I'm sorry. Cistercians. Uh, particularly because they were dedicated to the Virgin Mary, a figure that had a lot of importance for her. With this new patronage, she would specifically help out the Mortimer Abbey in Normandy. Just as a side note, in the 1140s, while she was still battling with her cousin Stephen, she had two coins with her minted on them. Both were issued and were in use in England and Wales. The first was minted in Oxford, then later in Bristol, Cardiff, and Warham, after her victory at the Battle of Lincoln. The second was minted at Bristol and Cardiff in the later years of the 1140s. Matilda would die on September 10th, 1167, age 65 in Rouen. She would be buried at the altar of Abbey of Beckhawen. Halloween. Halloween. Any wealth that she had upon her death, she actually willed that to the church. It did not go to her children. She probably didn't have... She had wealth in terms of her possessions. I don't know that she had wealth in terms of money. I mean, possessions, family heritage, either way, she didn't give it to her children. She gave it to the church. Well, by by the point... By the time she died, she only, the only child she had left was Henry. That's true. The epitaph on her tomb reads, Great by birth, greater by marriage, greatest in her offspring. Here lies Matilda, the daughter, wife, and mother of Henry. You notice that Geoffrey is not mentioned in there. That's still not the point. The point was, she was the daughter Daughter of of Henry Henry. I, wife of Henry V, and mother to Henry Henry II. Oh, I know the point. Oh, okay. I just also noticed that she did not, she was... She didn't put blame in there either. I know, but she's saying she was greatest in, um, she was the, she was great she by maybe, her birth. She maybe didn't come up with it. I don't know. I'm just saying the greatness all lies in the Henrys. Yes, they they were the rulers. That's why. Yeah, I'm just saying that she did not think of Geoffrey as a great person. 
Oh, I don't know. Probably. But I, this this could have been an epitaph written by Henry the second. Who knows? We don't have any record. We don't. Give the next one. <laughs> Her tomb would be undisturbed for several decades until a fire in 1263 would destroy it. It was later restored in 1282, where it sat undisturbed for quite a while until 1421, when the English army destroyed it. It wasn't until 1684 that the Congregation of St. Mauer stated that they had identified some of the bones, which were reburied at Beck in a new coffin. Again, everything was, it was quiet for a while, again, until Napoleon. And Napoleon would come through the area and he destroyed both the tombs and church. Her remains were then re-identified in 1846 and again re buried at the Rouen Cathedral, and there they still are undisturbed to this day. Her legacy, uh, since even when she was alive, has been very mixed. Some viewers positive, others is negative. Well, while married to Henry V, the Germans called her the, quote, good Matilda, end quote. During her feud with Stephen, a book called Gesta Stefani condemned her. After her son, Henry, took the throne, she was once again viewed in a positive light. That, this didn't stop rumors from spreading about her throughout history. One legend uh, states that her first husband didn't actually die when he was reported to, but that he left her and had become a hermit, thus making her second marriage illegal and all of her children with Geoffrey illegitimate. There was even a tale that she and Stephen, her cousin, had had an affair, the result of which was Henry II. Yeah, right. Oh, Lord. Right. That's terrible. You also notice that during the times that she was married to a man and not fighting for the throne of England is when she was viewed as good. Yep. Rather than... I need to assert my authority is when she was viewed as bad. When she's viewed as essentially the queen mother, she's good. When she's viewed as empress, she's bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, by the time the Tudor dynasty or era, as you like, as I like to call it, came around a reinterest in Matilda's line of succession after her father's death, Henry the first began again. This is, Going back to our series on the Wars of the Roses, you can go back to listen about the lineage there a little bit. You can also reach our, our sources, which also has her timeline, her her historical line from William the Conqueror. Right. So. <clears throat> and scholars of the time believed and concluded that Matilda had every right to claim the throne of England for her own, and they actually began to question as to why she ceded it to her son. This, it didn't, my research when I learned about this particular portion, it didn't exactly specify as to which portion of the Tudor line, because I mean, there's only so much. So mm -hmm. you can be like during the reign of Henry or Mary or Elizabeth, thinking probably Elizabeth. Probably. Because given that a woman's right to rule 
had already now started only with Mary pre like Mary Tudor with the obvious queen right to rule. Don't forget the what is it, eight or ten day rule of Jane between Edward and Mary. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I'm nine, just saying nine days. It, it kind of nine days, sorry. Nine day queen. I literally like had it right in the middle. <laughs> but either way, this is when female rulership became a huge deal for that. Right. And but much, I, my, much my like, assumption as to why she would give up the throne to her son is she was tired of the fight. I'd be tired of the main fight. Probably. It's 18 years of a war with my cousin, or her cousin in this case. It, it's 18 years of a war with your cousin over the throne. By the time this war is over, she's probably old. She's tired. She just wants to relax. That's what I'd want to do. Yeah, well, that and that, she came to a truce with Stephen, as we'll get into. Which we'll get into, but in, not really. In the future episode. Right. But she came to essentially a truce because I think the Pope intervened and, and Louis VII of France, saying that Stephen will take the throne, and when Stephen dies, Henry will take the throne. Matilda yes. was not given, I don't, and though she wanted it, she was not really given the option. If the option was, I can rule, but my son won't. I won't take that option because I want my family to continue ruling. Yes. I would I would also just be like, you know what? Have it, son. You're old enough now. You can rule. It's time for me to step down and step back. Right. But again, going but, back to Elizabeth. But it, it, it does a bunch of things. But at this time, Elizabeth is probably wondering, I wonder why she didn't take it. I think this is great. Well, but also going back to Elizabeth, her grandfather challenged Richard III, who had a legitimate right to the throne. Henry Tudor had a very minor, going back to the Wars of the Roses, had a very, very minor, iffy claim to the throne, but won and took the throne. But in order to legitimize her ability, her, her legitimacy to reign, she had to make it like her father and her grandfather were of descent, descent from a long lineage. So it, it worked really well in Liz's favor to try to bring this up, too. Yeah. By the 1700s, the question about her claim and acquiescence began to be more clear. As historians began to have a better understanding of medieval politics, laws, and customs. When the Victorians came around, many documents archiving Matilda's life had been uncovered and began to be analyzed. These included charters, letters, foundations, his, histories and so much, so much more. And they were then used by contemporary scholars to form a more apt account of Matilda, her life, her feud with Stephen, and her relationship and rule that she had with her son, Henry. Uh, there isn't much about her in fiction, but it is believed that she was the source of inspiration for Alfred, Lord Tennyson's 1855, 1855 battle poem of Maud. And if you're wondering why Maud and Matilda, Maud is a... A, a oh. shortened variation on the name Matilda. Matilda. Yeah. It's just how pronunciation is. Uh, we say Matilda. It was probably Matilda or something like that. Yeah. Back in the day. Gotta Everyone Latin versus uh, Middle English. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta remember several languages were precedent at this point. Well, particularly French. French yeah. and Latin. The, the government was done in French and Latin. The people's language was in Germanic English. Yep. 
And I think that's where we'll end today's episode. Yay! It's, so. This is a long one. But, but, but stay tuned. They all might be about this long. And that's okay. It's a good series, I think. Uh, we've been wanting to do this one for a while. We've been wanting... There are several series we've been wanting to do. Yes. But on this, we'll, that'll do for this episode of History Explains It All. We hope to see you next week as we trek through history to explain it all. Bye. Bye.